Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition brought to you by Campus to Canton. Follow them on the Twitter at Campus, the number two Canton. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the man, the myth, the legend. He makes it all happen here at CFP Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and father of the year, Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. Guys, the natty is in the books. It was super surprising. No one saw it coming except for everybody saw it coming. And a lot of bets were hit within the industry that we saw. Uh, I was six for six on my picks last night. So I was uh, enjoying that a lot. Michigan ran the ball right down Washington's throat to the tune of 303 rushing yards. I think 187 of those were in the first quarter. It was um, it was domination, but Michigan couldn't convert a third down for the first three quarters of the game. So Washington hung around and hung around and hung around. And there was only two field goals kicked really quickly in that third quarter. So we got into the fourth quarter. The game was still in reach for Washington, but Michigan put it away with two big drives and a couple of turnovers. So Michigan, your national champs, uh, who knows what Jim Harbaugh's future is. That's what all, all anybody wanted to ask him about last night, um, which I don't like Jim Harbaugh, but let the dude enjoy his win for God's sake. You know, he doesn't have to tell you he's going to go coach the bears or, Falcons or whoever um, next week, he, he can figure that out when he does, but uh, good national championship, good numbers uh, on, according to the athletic as well. Uh, highest watched Natty since 2020. So Nick, your thoughts on Michigan as our national champions. Is there an asterisk here? <laughs> uh, I don't really get too worked up about all the, the Michigan stuff. I mean, I know that, uh, you know, head coach was suspended for roughly half the year that's not necessarily great but i i don't get worked up about the the why quite quite honestly uh too much um so i'm not worried about any asterisk i do think the you know at the at the risk of of uh, making any of our listeners mad who are big michigan fans not my intention here but i i do kind of find the Michigan versus everybody a little annoying um that that whole sort of thing but I mean you know teams uh teams who are very talented uh often you know the most talented we heard this a little bit with Georgia the last couple of years you have to find motivation where you can and and you know they they had some uh, obviously some distractions that, that they had to block out and, and were able to do so. Um, but you also have to, you know, find ways to, to get motivated, stay motivated, um, kind of create that chip on your shoulder, even when you're not necessarily, um, you know, the, the type of team that should maybe have a, a chip on your shoulder, but, uh, very impressed with Michigan all season. Um, we, you know, we talked this time last year when we were doing way too early uh, stuff that that Michigan was absolutely going to be in the mix as you know number one preseason team. It it worked out. I mean, they they got it done. Talented team. They developed really well. Uh, and you know, best defense in our team performance numbers all season. Um, I probably didn't. Uh, you know, me personally, we we chatted a little bit before. Uh, hitting record, I, I I feel like over the the you know five years that we've done this, I've just sort of gotten myself more and more entrenched in the uh, you know the the day to day work 
um, the numbers, the you know personnel stuff. Um, and I do watch games. I, I watch, try to get my eyes on every single game if if possible. Um, but and, and you know watch games multiple times if if time allows. But I still I feel like I have not. Um, I don't know. I, my, my right now, my football brain is not necessarily operating at full strength. I'm just, I am really relying on the numbers more and more. And so we talked about it and, and I do think that, you know, there's reason to, to look at our numbers. We had a good year. We've, we've talked about the Absolutely. numbers yeah. um, and, and sort of the, the results, the percentages and stuff. So I, I do feel like, we have something to to add if if I am to um, rely on those. Uh, but also, you know, it, it it pains me a little bit because I have uh, watched football forever, cared a lot about it for a really long time, have felt that I um, am you know pretty knowledgeable about the game, have a little bit of a coaching background, which adds another little layer to it. Um, but for whatever reason, going into last night's game it didn't quite occur to me, even though we discussed that maybe the you know biggest advantage for Michigan was their rushing attack against Washington's run defense. I, I was a little bit surprised when it just looked like those first, what, two drives or, or, you know, first quarter where Michigan was just dominant up front, like you said, and they kind of took the, you know, uh, the, the foot off the gas a little bit, uh, maybe they they let Washington hang around a Washington that obviously did not have its A game. I mean, definitely have to credit Michigan, Michigan's defense, Michigan's pass rush, which just made the Washington offensive line very uncomfortable, made Michael Penix Jr. very uncomfortable. You know, the previous game, he looked like the greatest quarterback of all time. This week, is this guy even going to get drafted? I mean, Obviously, the truth is maybe somewhere in the middle, but um, Michigan was was great uh, defensively and, and made him very, very uncomfortable. Um, but for whatever reason, I just didn't quite expect Michigan to come out and, and be dominant on those first few drives. And maybe I should have. I don't know. Um, the the Dylan Johnson injury was impactful. Him, you know, getting a, an ankle injury on the first play of the game after dealing with a knee injury and a foot injury um, was, uh, was not great that even though I'm sure the Washington coaches had, you know, a plan in place for if Johnson was going to be limited with his other injuries um, that just, you know, to, to get a guy uh, limited even more um, immediately to, to change, you know, have to change your plan probably, uh, from the very beginning is difficult, but also, you know, credit to Washington because their defense after those first couple of drives um, really did start to play a little bit better. Um, they were able to take advantage maybe of, of Michigan uh, taking the foot off their the gas a little bit or, or, you know, switching things up. Maybe when everybody on Twitter was screaming, hey, why is Michigan even throwing the football? <laughs> just just run it. Um, but uh, overall, I mean, yeah, the 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 game itself, the first couple of drives, Michigan looked dominant. Then it was kind of the rest of the night for me, 
wondering, is Washington going to be able to get back in it? Is Michigan going to just pull away? Um, and we're going to have a, you know, another blowout, a national championship game. Um, but Washington hung on Michigan, let them, uh, hang around, uh, until the fourth quarter where Michigan just sort of finished them off again. And, and, um, it was impressive. The, the, uh, domination at the line of scrimmage, especially early on was impressive. Um, I'm a little sad that we didn't get to see Michael Penix at his best. Didn't get to see Roma Dunze at his best. Didn't really get to see Washington attack downfield because, you know, Michigan just wasn't really, um, allowing that Washington had to settle for, you know, short stuff, uh, out on the sides. Uh, but, um, overall, you know, two great teams, great seasons for, for both teams, uh, deserved victory for Michigan. No asterisk in my opinion. Um, you know, maybe they're not my favorite team of all time, but they were a great team and, and a lot of fun to watch. And, and last night, you know, worthy performance for a national champion. I mean, is there anyone that looks more like their own father than Jim Harbaugh and Jack Harbaugh, by the way, too? But I mean, th those guys, it looks like Jim Harbaugh from the future is visiting right. himself to win the national championship. It was yeah. insane uh, at the end of the game. But Xavier, your thoughts on the Natty and uh, the outcome and how everything played out? Yeah, I thought, you know, in this game in particular, and when we talk about all the time, you know, 18, 19, 20 year olds, you know, playing for some of the biggest honors in football. This was a game that I felt like it was a team that had been there before versus a team that had. Um, and I think that was the biggest difference in this ballgame. Um, Michigan, obviously, just being their third straight playoff, obviously their first national championship, but things being on the line for them and this regime in particular, you know, it felt like they were comfortable. Uh, they played rather, they, they stuck to their game plan. They understood what their game plan was going to be, and they didn't overthink it. Um, which is why I think Washington did on the other side. I hopped on Scott's podcast for uh, a brief bit at the end there, and I just felt like Washington was way too pragmatic on both sides of the football. Um, on the offensive side, you've got the best quarterback in the game, and you went into it thinking you could be balanced against a team that shut down Alabama's run game for the majority of that for the majority of that ball game. And I felt that that was dumb. Um, I just felt like it was unnecessary to be that balanced, especially with Dylan Johnson being forty percent, really maybe fifty percent. Um, in the game, you know, and after his injury, you should have just thrown that that, that game plan out the window. Um, you had the best you had the best offensive weapon in the game, you know, with Roman Dunes on the outside. He didn't get enough targets for me. Um, I understand that Michigan was playing, you know, ten to fifteen yards off the ball and taking away the deep shots, but just give it to him. See what he does. Put the ball in the air. Um, and I feel like too many times it was all right, cool. We're gonna we're gonna play east and west. And I was like, you do realize that Michigan still has the same team speed to go east and west as it does north and south. And I feel like Auburn's game plan, or it's not Auburn, excuse me, but Washington's game plan just was not ready for the moment. Um, I'll on the def defensive side, same thing for Washington. JJ McCarthy is not a quarterback that Michigan has ever trusted in big games. You can look, you somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. I've looked at the numbers, I've done the deep dive. Whenever they play their biggest games, whether it be Big Ten championship games, games against Ohio State in his career, um, or playoff games, they do not want him throwing the ball more than 25 times. And if you know that coming into it, it's not going to all of a sudden change, you know, midway, you know, at, at, in the biggest moment of Harbaugh's career as Michigan head coach. They ran it on a third and eight, and you had the audacity to continue to let this, to, to, to not hone in 100% on the run game. I thought that was a misstep from Washington. I think they they waited too long. 
to to change up their game plan. I mean, trying to run, trying to just go man for man with that offensive line, which if they had had Zach, uh, you know, Zach Zinter, we would have had them probably penciled in as the best offensive line in the country this year, was was a misstep. You know, five man fronts against them where your D tackles are the sizes, uh, you know, of their fullbacks is just not a good move. Like, I'm sorry. Um, I felt like their one strength that they would have had in this game is forcing Michigan into passing downs. And when they did, they did win, right? Like Scott alluded to, they, Michigan failed to, to, to convert a third down into the fourth quarter. Much of that was due to the fact that, you know, the third downs were third and mediums to third and longs. Um, on the Michigan side, I thought their, their game plan was perfect. They ran the football. They double teamed the inside tackles. They made sure that they got a hat on a hat. Um, and they took guys like Braylon Trice and ZFT complete out the game by not rushing outside. Um, when they did try zone schemes outside, they rarely worked. But when they went right up the gut, there was nothing that they could do because Washington was just too small in the middle and too small at linebacker. Um, they rarely tried the outside, which was a perfect decision from them. Um, you know, obviously, Muhammad and company on the outside, like I said, coming in well coached um, as far as their Washington corners are concerned. Uh, but Michigan, I thought, play did a really good game plan. I, I feel like in the middle there, they got stagnant because the run game wasn't necessarily working, and uh, Harbaugh wasn't going to let McCarthy you know, blow it for him. I just felt like he was like, you know what? I trust my defense enough now to just – we're going to sit on this lead. If, if if they tie it up, I guess we'll switch it up. But until they do, we're okay. Um, you know, and I felt like on the defensive side, great job. They put that offensive line in hell for 60 minutes. Uh, they did not let up on the blitzing. They blitzed him, I think, I want to say 44% of the time last night. Or, the, you know, and they made sure that that offensive line was seeing multiple stunts on both plays, fabricating pressures, moving coverages, going from cover to base to showing man post snap. They they were putting together one of the better defensive performances coaching-wise that I've seen in a long time from from a from a defense in the national championship, not just based solely on talent, but what they were doing as far as coaching. Now, I will say, Washington's going to watch this tape and be furious at the amount of attempts that they missed. Uh, they probably missed two to three scores, not big plays, full-on touchdowns. Um, obviously, we know the big one in the first half to Roma Dunes on a busted coverage, uh, but there's another one on a third down where they send a blitz that they don't pick up, and if they do, the tight end's running scot-free, uh, there's another missed throw um, that, that Penix has later in the game where Roma Dunes is on a mesh concept and he's running the drag. Like, they're going to be sitting there, you know, and, Kay- and Kaylin DeBoer will absolutely, you know, be be, be punching himself for the lack of – There's a drop third down, Will Nixon. Yeah. Would have been yeah. Oh, that was a huge one, right? Obviously, they picked that up. And that game was still – I think he leaves still 20-13 to 13 at that point. Um, you know, he catches that ball – and if he breaks the tackle, he's gone. If he doesn't, obviously, they still pick up the first down. And their momentum is still moving in the right direction. I just felt like Washington had way too many opportunities there to, you know, to capitalize on a Michigan offense that at times this year had gotten stagnant and, you know, got that bugaboo again and then got really stagnant. I think she would agree with me, obviously. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, um, I felt like Michigan's game plan was really good and they deserved the national championship. I was telling Scott last night, though, and I hope that these 12, 12 team playoffs weed out what we had, what we got this, had this, had to watch last night, and that was a national championship quarterback going eleven of eighteen for, or sorry, ten of eighteen for one hundred and forty yards. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we can get better quarterback versus quarterback battles because I was sitting there talking, I, I was screaming at some point at my girlfriend. She probably thought I was insane, but she knows that she, she, you know, she dated me for a reason. Uh, 
that if I was Washington, I would be blitzing eight on every play. And I would make McCarthy make throws the entire night. And if he did, congratulations. But he hadn't shown the propensity to do so in any big game as the Michigan quarterback. So why start now? So, All right. Yeah, uh, it, it was it was a good game. Um, I'm with Xavier. I think that the Washington don't why come out and try to be balanced. Do what dance with the one that brung you, as they say. Right. You, you beat Texas through the air. Um Maybe you don't want to hang Penix out to dry early. Maybe you want to just, you know, maybe it's almost like a show me fastball. Let's have this run game on the first drive and all that stuff. But I mean, set the tone, score on that first drive, you know, pass more. I, I think it was split on that first drive, or it was seven, six passes to runs. And I'm with Xavier. I just did not understand the way they went about their business in the first half. Did not make sense for what they had done all year. But it's over now. It's in the books. Washington had their chance, couldn't pull away. And now we all have to live with khaki pants getting a national championship. Uh, thanks a lot, Washington. But <laughs> it's all right. I'm My old roommate is a huge Michigan fan. I'm su super happy for him and a lot of the Michigan fans. I'm just obviously not a huge Harbaugh fan. And I don't even care about the sign stuff. I don't care. Yeah, I just overblown in my opinion just funny to poke at people that's all oh, yeah. you know that's oh, yeah. just fun but uh <laughs> let's talk about the transfer portal because i my favorite part maybe of the national championship is ohio state announcing that quinchon <laughs> Jenkins is coming to ohio state as michigan is celebrating on the podium uh which i don't know if those things lined up one for one but that's when i saw <laughs> so uh i thought it was you know ohio state Ohio State trying to spoil Michigan's big win, which is obviously, you know, speaking of poking and rivalries, uh, something that's very funny. But uh, tell us about the most recent movement in the portal, Nick. Yeah, well, uh, that that's a big one. Quinchon Judkins uh, going to Ohio State. Um, really interesting. Really interesting how it all sort of came down. There are plenty of whispers and rumors about NIL and what you know, Judkin, Judkins had in place and what he wanted and, you know, went out to uh, the market to, to try to get X amount of dollars, found out that, you know, maybe running backs don't, uh, you know, the market's not there for a running back, but um, ends up at Ohio State, who, you know, as we talked about last week, uh, we think is going to be a top five team again in 2024. Um, that was even before we knew which quarterback they would land in Will Howard. Um, and before we knew what the running back situation would be, because, you know, Trayvon Henderson still, as we record, has not announced uh, his plans, whether or not he's going to the NFL draft. But, you know, if he's back, he and Judkins are an incredible one-two duo. Uh, if he's not back, then, you know, Judkins slots right in and, and they're not going to miss a beat. Um so, you know, pretty interesting from the Ole Miss perspective because, you know, as good as Judkins has been his first two years, as productive as he has been, um, you know, running backs just in general and, you know, not irreplaceable, didn't necessarily expect that, you know, Ole Miss, who we think is going to be a top 10 team and just about everybody else, it seems that I've found, uh, agrees. Um, I don't think it really changes with Judkins gone necessarily uh, doesn't, doesn't really move the needle too much. They don't, they don't go from, you know, seven or eight in our rankings to 12 or 15 
absolutely not. I mean, they they might drop a spot if that, and and nothing you know too significant from a uh, projecting a, a point spread against an opponent type situation. Um, but still, you know, a, a household name among college football fans uh, going to a premier spot. Uh, Ohio State loading up again uh, to try to make a run at, you know, now Michigan not only is, is uh, beaten Ohio State, uh, you know, so much in, in the last few years, but now is sitting atop the college football world as, as national champions. So even more motivated than ever, I'm sure. But beyond Judkins, I mean, I look first at, at quarterback always. There were some pretty interesting moves. Um, maybe the, the one that might surprise people the most if they hadn't been paying attention to transfer portal stuff. But Malachi Nelson, the five-star quarterback, you know, I believe number one quarterback recruit in last year's class, certainly top two, um, according to most services, uh, had been at USC, entered the transfer portal. Kind of the next day or two, there were some, you know, these some reports. These are the teams that have reached out to Malachi Nelson. And it was a little bit of an underwhelming list for what you would expect for, you know, a top five overall recruit, five-star quarterback, a huge high-profile signee. Um, and he ends up uh, committing to Boise State uh, a few days ago, um, which I know our you know CFF uh, team and uh, campus to Canton really excited. A lot of folks who play CFF really excited because when you get a, a really talented guy going to um, you know a group of five conference and, and takes that strength of schedule down a little bit, uh, there's an opportunity there for him to potentially blow up and, and just have an incredibly productive season and and you know that's that's exciting but it's also i don't know it's a it's a little bit of a you know make you raise your eyebrow or, or scratch your head a little bit uh how a guy could go from can't miss five-star prospect one year to uh the very next year um just just moving on and and dropping down uh to you know from the uh, what was pac 12 now big 10 uh to the mountain west just a just a little bit of a a little bit of a, a, an unexpected situation there. Um, two other really intriguing quarterback moves happened uh, a couple of days later where Albany, Albany, FCS level uh, quarterback Reese Poffenbarger, um, who had an incredibly productive year. Albany went to the uh, FCS semifinals, got shut out by uh, South Dakota State, but um Excellent year, threw for a ton of yards. Um, he had been sort of, uh, I don't know, I think had had a lot of group of five interest, um, but not too many major programs were sniffing around until it seemed like Miami kind of lost out on you know, Cam Ward, DJ Uyunglele, Will Howard, uh, just, just sort of went down and down the list where turns out Poffenbarger might be you know, maybe the, the best available player. And it's kind of a unknown, you know, among most uh, college football fans, probably. He was at Old Dominion before he transferred to Albany, and now uh, it's going to be quarterback at, at the University of Miami. And, and uh, uh, it's going to be an interesting situation because he doesn't right now, the way we calculate it, have a very high um, 
uh, player rating, but maybe that'll help keep Miami's uh, power rating in, in check a little bit preseason. Uh, but the other one, you know, kind of similar situation, a very highly productive guy, uh, but making a, a different decision, Jaden Maeva, Mountain West freshman of the year, uh, retro freshman, took over at UNLV, led them to their best season in a, a very long time, uh, enters the transfer portal, looked like, you know, maybe he would uh, be headed to, to USC to compete with Miller Moss, you know, uh, for that job. Instead goes to Georgia where it's almost a guarantee that he is uh, going to be the backup uh, for, for, you know, at least one year. Um, and when Carson Beck moves on to the NFL, then maybe he'll uh, have an opportunity to start uh, after that. But just a, a couple of, of interesting decisions where a fairly unknown player, perhaps to most, is going to be in a very high-profile position, a guy who proved to be a very productive player at a young age at a, a lower level, moves up to a spot where he's probably not going to play very much uh, next year. Uh, and then, of course, you know, there's there's the – the rest of the list, we saw Talia, uh, excuse me, Talia Tonga Bailea, uh, who uh, is is uh, going to be petitioning the NCAA for an extra year of eligibility. Uh, Ty Thompson, uh, former, you know, very very highly rated prospect, who kind of uh, lost a little bit of shine. He ends up at Tulane. Dylan Morris, who was on the sidelines for Washington last night, he's going to James Madison. Will he have an opportunity to start? And then we haven't really discussed Will Howard either. So um, still lots of moving pieces. Uh, the quarterback situation is is um, seemingly, you know, wrapping itself up. Um, and we're, we're still seeing a, a few impact players at other positions, guys like Jaquinnon Jackson moving from Utah to Arkansas, Penny Boone going from Toledo to Louisville. Uh, earlier today we saw LeJonte Wester, who's been a, a very, very exciting, explosive wide receiver at FAU. He's taken a step up in competition going to Colorado, a place where, of course, they throw it around a lot, but bring in a lot of receivers. So I wonder uh, what his you know target share and usage is, is going to be uh, in a new situation. But uh, plenty of, of moves still to uh, happen. Um, but finally, it seems, you know, at least at the quarterback position, uh, things are starting to mostly – uh, fall into place. And, and, you know, I think, uh, running back, certainly some receiver as well. It's, it's starting to, uh, kind of wrap up a little bit. I don't know that it'll ever be over. And then of course in the spring, we'll do it again, but, um, things are, I don't know. They, they seem like they're starting to come together now for the most part. Xavier, when you look at this transfer portal, this group, that we're talking about here, who is the most intriguing to you uh, in, in their movement and uh, who are you most excited to see? Um, obviously, I'm, I'm extremely excited to see Maeva in a couple of years. Um, obviously, he won't play this year, be sitting behind Beck. Uh, but to make a long-winded move as a transfer is interesting uh, because I want to see if more of that G5 level kind of does this where they have a solid first year um, and then they – they don't immediately try to jump into a can into a win now situation, right? Maeve is going to go to Georgia, sit for a while or sit for a year, I believe, um, and then be able to play once it's an open quarterback battle in the next year. Uh, probably it's going to be him, Gunnar Stockton, and uh, Ryan Pligliski at that point. So it's going to be interesting. 
Uh, and, I, and I love moves like that because it's thinking about the future, not just thinking about the right now. Uh, Malachi Nelson, obviously, going to Boise State. Is this a a reclamation project for himself? And, and you know, well, you know, is it a one and done type situation? Goes to Boise State, puts up solid numbers, then comes back into the portal next year when he, he may feel that his reputation around the league is a little bit better. Or does he actually stay at Boise State um, going forward? Because you know, it'll be interesting that if he were to stay at Boise State, what that would ultimately do as far as his draft candidacy is concerned, uh, because the kid is still extremely talented. And if he put together, you know, a three, four year, you know, run at Boise State that could rival that of, you know, uh, Kelly Moore, you know, it could really, you know, put himself in that conversation um, going forward. Uh, Talia being in the, Talia getting that extra year of eligibility, kudos to him, man. Uh, I, I love it for him. Well, it's not a, not a done deal yet. Oh, that's true. You're right. He's, he's trying. Yes. Uh, he was the one that, I mean, Miami was like the obvious yep. uh, potential destination if it happens. Yeah. Not sure if that's the case anymore. Maybe Puffenberger going there makes some makes you think that that maybe he's not going to get it. I don't know. Wouldn't go that far, but definitely, obviously, you know, it it, it it may not be the the walk in and just have the job right away kind of vibe. He might have to battle a little bit. Uh, I still think that he would feel comfortable going to Miami, understanding that. But there's obviously other options that he could do. Uh, obviously, Will Howard's my favorite one. Um, we talked about this last week, I believe, uh, that I love him at Ohio State. I absolutely love what he will do uh, with that with that wide receiver room. This is a guy who's now going to be on my semi-draft radar going into next year, um, you know, from what he was able to do at Kansas State and where I thought, you know, his – development at Kansas State, you know, allow for them in both years, right? Being a backup to, to Adrian Martinez and then being the starter last year, kept them in the Big 12 title race in both years. Um, and so I think him going to Ohio State, them having some stability there, um, and they're getting better at the quarterback position. Let's just be frank. It's going to be interesting. And, and I really think that now with that being the case, I believe as of right now, Ibuka is coming back to school. Um, Carnell Tate's still there. Um, they're going to have one hell of a team next year. Um, and I, I'm going to be honest with you, depending on what kind of departures happen from Michigan, especially if Harbaugh goes to the league, they will be my favorite in the Big Ten coming into next year because he has decided to go there. Um, and I think rightfully so. But, yeah, those are my favorite ones at the moment. Um, I'm not going to speak on Dylan Morris. I feel like I, I crapped on him enough when when he was at Washington. So I'm not going to go that direction. And then Juckins is obviously going to take – the world you take the big 10 by storm next year and it's probably rb in the rb top three as far as the draft is concerned going into the next season i'm still surprised uh kind of that that he ended up moving and i heard uh the athletic pod talking about judkins moving and how they were surprised because Ole miss has been bringing people in in fact nick you know at the top of the you know transfer uh, rankings that we are doing now uh the portal rankings Ole Miss, according to 247, is number one. According to On3, I believe they're third. Uh, you know, I think Louisville and Colorado mixes in for both. Texas A&M is very high up there, too. So a lot of movement there. But to see Judkins go from Ole Miss to Ohio State was a surprise because they have been bringing people in, and here goes one of their best players. Yeah, absolutely. Before the... You know Judkins move, which which caught a lot of people by surprise. Um, 
the you know I th I think Ole Miss might have actually been one in you know number one in both maybe, um, but not sure. Um, but yeah, I mean they're they're a team that it seems like are in on every uh, big name player. I mean they they have brought in according to uh, our team profiles, which by the way we do keep updated. Uh, I've, I had to put in like, I mean, literally uh, over the weekend and Monday morning, a total of like 200 something moves. Um, so people are, are finding their their uh, uh, destinations. But, you know, Ole Miss, last year they, they really hit the uh, skill position players really hard, right? They, they brought in multiple quarterbacks. Um, a couple of really intriguing wide receivers. Uh, this year, it's line of scrimmage, offensive and defensive line, and uh, secondary. They did bring in Juice Wells, one of the top-rated wide receiver uh, players in, in the uh, you know in in the portal this cycle, um, and they are seemingly in the mix for just about every you know wide receiver, tight end. I'm sure now they're going to be linked to you know some running backs, um, but Ole Miss seems to to really kind of be loading up, and understandably so, addressing you know the the positions where uh, not only you know are they positions of need for Ole Miss, but they're the you know there's there's a real scarcity um, of offensive and defensive linemen that can come in and be significant upgrades. I mean, we're seeing guys who. You know, uh, if if you want to move up a level, if you've been a Division Two FCS Group of Five uh, offensive lineman and you've got some experience, chances are you can find your way to uh, a power, um, not even just a power five or power four or whatever we're going to call it uh, roster, but you know, to to a top twenty five, you know, level team will be interested most likely. Um, so it's, it's pretty interesting, you know, to see Ole Miss, I think is a, a really, uh, you know, Colorado makes sense. Everybody knows that, that they're bringing in a lot of transfers. Uh, Louisville has done this two years in a row as well. And I, I agree with on three that they are one of the very, uh, best right now at it, but there's a, there's a team that I'm a little surprised. I don't see. Uh, I, I have the on three ones um, pulled up right now. Where where is Texas A and M? Because they had a just a huge huge weekend um, of landing. I mean, I felt like a dozen transfers. Uh, okay, yeah, their number like two is two four seven. Yeah, I don't I, know what's up with on three. <laughs> it, it must just not be updated yeah. from Monday or something. I don't know because yeah, A and M is second, on right? And and gaining ground. They did lose one, I think, earlier today. Um, there's a uh, an edge defender, uh, pass rusher from Marshall, uh, who's a over 100 rated player in our uh, individual player ratings. Elijah Austin uh, just had a huge year this year. Um, not quite 100. He's 96, but you know top quality player uh, going to be going to be highly uh, sought after had committed to AM. He apparently since has decommitted. 
Um, but I mean, they're they're just bringing in so many players. I mean, I'm counting seven defensive backs, eight defensive backs. Uh, looks like four linebackers, um, five offensive linemen, three wide receivers, a tight end. They brought in EJ Smith, who uh, is has always been a really intriguing player. Is not really been very good the last couple of years at Stanford. Uh, was hurt in. 2022, but um, I don't know. Uh, the This Texas A&M class, part of it, it to me is the way they're going about it, and Texas A&M lost a ton of talent. Maybe that's part of the on-three thing uh, because they they take into account the guys you lose. Uh, and that, that's got to be it then, yeah. That 2021 class, was it, that was like the, the best of all time? uh lost they lost a bunch of of guys from from that group so yeah that that makes a certain amount of sense but texas a&m is i don't know i'm interested i'm 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 really really curious to see how it all comes together because they are replacing high profile recruits five star guys high four star guys you know members of of one of the the highest rated classes of all time. They're replacing them with experienced players more often than not. And from a lot of sort of under the radar places or, or, you know, places that, that most college football fans might not, might not think that this is as good of a, a transfer class coming in as, as I do. Like one of the players that they landed this week um, who I'm incredibly excited about is Nick Scorton from Purdue. Uh, you know, hasn't hasn't really filled up the stat sheet quite yet, but he's just one of those players that you can tell um, is just, you know, steps on a field, one of the most talented people out there. And at 6'4", 260, you know, coming off the edge, um, you know, Mike Elko is, is going to find a way to utilize him really well. Uh, and then they brought in, you know, three or four other guys that kind of have a similar skill set, but a little bit of an outside of the box uh, mix, or, or you know, outside of the box find. Uh, Cassius Howell from Bowling Green, built similarly to Skirton, you know, not not as uh, filled out perhaps, listed at six four two thirty five, but he has been incredibly productive. You know, has put up big uh, stats at. Bowling Green and you know you're between one of those two guys you have to think that you're gonna you're gonna find a, a pretty uh impactful pass rusher at least I do and, and maybe you hit on both um Dericky Wright is a guy who I'm incredibly interested to see how Texas A&M uh utilizes him I thought that you know, he was a pretty special player at Vanderbilt, listed at 6'4", 220, play safety, also, you know, kind of linebacker, nickelback, uh, can move him around, play different spots, but very under the radar type player. Um, just, just to me, seems like somebody who is going to maybe blossom into a star. Um, I don't know. I, I just, it's a, it's a really, really interesting group the way that they replaced maybe, you know, recruiting darlings with guys who have proven it a little bit more on the field, but maybe don't have that 
name recognition. Um, it's it's a shift. It's a shift from what we've seen at Texas A&M in, in recent years. And I'm very, very curious to see how it comes together because, I don't know, there was a, like a two-hour period where they got seven or eight commits, it seemed like. Uh, and Elko was tweeting out the Manziel uh, money uh, gif over and over and over again. But I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've got my eye on Texas A&M and, and this portal class. Uh, they've, they've kind of surpassed uh, Syracuse, which I won't go in as much depth, but I, I think I've mentioned it before uh, on our shows here. I'm, I'm going to be spending more time than I thought thinking about Syracuse football um, over the next several months uh, with the, the coaching change they made and, and the recruiting success and portal success that they've had in, in a pretty short time there since Fran Brown took over. So uh, anyway, but yeah, the, those uh, Texas A&M uh, and, and Ole Miss, obviously, because they're just going to be in on every guy, but uh, making, making some noise in the, in the portal uh, trail. Xavier, when you look at the portal, is there one team that stands out above the rest? Are you liking what Colorado is doing or uh, Ole Miss or A&M or anybody? Uh, well, I was going to say I, I'm actually not a huge fan of A&M thus far. I feel like I'm a big fan of not spending way too much money to go get prospects for maybe a one-year rental. Um, and I can tell that Elko's trying to possibly move away from some of the money being spent over the last couple of years, shout out to Jimbo, uh, you know, and, and attempting to kind of maybe go in a different route. And I understand it, and I'm not necessarily knocking it all, all, all that much, but I will say that I do feel like he's maybe not taking advantage of the money enough. Uh, like, my guy, you are going from Duke to one of the more cash flow teams in college football. Um, you have an opportunity here to really, like, you know, build the team of not the exact team of your choosing, but to a degree, um, build a team that, you know, you feel like you maybe can compete with right away. I'm in a conference that's obviously going to be getting better next year. I just feel like I, I feel like he may be dragging his feet on this one a little bit. And maybe we, we come into next year um, or we come after next year. And now all of a sudden, you know, A&M's roster looks completely different. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to go out there and go get guys that could actually compete. Versus guys that I just, you know, that were not necessarily retreads, but, you know, got, got some, got, got a lot of, got a lot of SEC guys in here that maybe didn't cut it at their first university. Uh, got some, got some, got a couple, some Florida guys, obviously got a Georgia guy. Um, so, yeah, I just feel like maybe A&M hasn't gone as hard as maybe I believe that they should after a couple of disappointing years. I love Ole Miss. Um, don't love losing Quishaw Junkins, but uh, they 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 not only went after productive guys, they went after you know heavily recruited guys out of high school who have not necessarily hit their peak, right? Well, obviously, I'm talking about Walter Nolan when I say that. Um, but Princely out of out of Florida was one heck of a get, um, in my opinion. Um, uh, the camp, uh, sorry, I'm gonna say D Richardson. I don't the, the the first name is going to absolutely kill me right now. Uh, from Mississippi State, the corner. Loved him as well. Loved that move. And I feel like when I look at Ole Miss, the number one thing that they, you know, went into the portal and really went and got was defense. Um, and then I feel like that was a huge miss for them last year with an offense that obviously I thought could compete with, you know, most of the, the conference. Their defense was just bad. Um, but when you pick up, I want to say four edges or sorry, three edges, two DBs, you know, um, so a couple of defensive linemen, 
and a safety, and that makes up the majority of your of the guys that you brought in. That says a lot. Um, and that says obviously that your defense wasn't good enough last year, and you want to go ahead and fix that right away. So love that. Um, and then they haven't necessarily brought in too many people thus far, but I love the, the I love what Florida State's doing. Um, Florida State is bringing in proven talent. Uh, they're bringing in guys that could help them, you know, soften the blow of losing probably their most talented team in what six years, seven years since Jameis Winston left. Um, I think I would, I would, that's not too much of a stretch. And they're bringing in proven talent to make sure that that, that softens the blow a bit, right? Bring in DJU, bring in Marvin Jones Jr., um, bring in Earl Little the second from, from um, Alabama. All of those moves, I thought, you know, once again, you're helping soften the blow of bringing in a team that you lost so much talent for. So I like those. Uh, all right. We also looked at the top 25 last week, our top 25, and then a bunch of top 25s came out. Nick, look at that. What are the chances <laughs> that right after the season ends, we're going to get a bunch of brand new top 25s? But interestingly enough, you went through all of these top 25s. Uh, Mark uh, Schalbach from ESPN, Brandon Marcello from 247, Brett McMurphy from Action, uh, Jesse Simonton from On3, Max Chadwick from PFF, and Bud Elliott from CBS 247, Cover 3, everything. Uh, you went through their top 25s, and inside the top 10 were only 13 different teams, which is pretty surprising. So... It seems to be shaping up as to what the top 10 is going to be um, and just your thoughts at looking at some of the lists comparatively to the list that we created last week, mainly you, but we we danced around. So we, we moved some pieces. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I offered uh, an outline and, and uh, appreciated the feedback, the discussion. Um, I think we made some good changes to it. But yeah, I... I, I you know, wanted to not necessarily be first or, or anything like that, but I do like to put my thoughts down on paper, sort of where I see our numbers going uh, before taking too much in from any of these others, which, you know, Mark Schleybach at ESPN has been doing this forever. Um, and it, it's well thought out and, and it's tough to do because, you know, you, you want to create something as early as you can for, for a variety of reasons. Um, and you don't have complete information, you know, <laughs> now more than ever, because who knows what starting quarterback might show up uh, uh, in, in summer camp uh, before taking over a, a team uh, in the top 25. We've seen that in the floor, you know, in the past, but um I do kind of want to, you know, put put what I think our numbers are going to say out there first before taking in too many opinions. And, and you know, the way we do things when we put our official numbers out, when our team strength power ratings are, are available, um, when we publish our team profiles, um, our opinion doesn't go into it at all. Um, but so I do kind of like to see where my opinion, our opinions differ from, you know, the the numbers that are more or less written in stone just based on, you know, all the factors that we uh, build into them. Uh, because this time last year, we were talking about Michigan as maybe being number one. I, I went back and looked at our show sheet from our way too early discussion last year. Michigan was number one. So we got that right. USC was number two. 
did not get that right. <laughs> not so much. Oh, right. So I did see kind of funny some, you know, uh, understandably, but there were there were some people retweeting their own preseason uh, predictions last night where they said Michigan was going to win the college football playoff. And, and I did notice at least one uh, that said USC was going to be in the playoffs. So it's, you know, just, <laughs> just kind of funny. But hey, I was I was right there with you. Was it your tweet? Um, you it was not that? my tweet because oh. remember, Michigan was not my once yeah. all was said and done, once I took my opinion out of it, uh, you know, Ohio State was our number one team um, and Georgia was very, very close. But um, but yeah, I, I, I do think it's interesting because I don't want to succumb to groupthink, right? Um, and I'm not accusing any of these folks of, of doing that. I'm sure a lot of work went into it ahead of time they're not going to just see somebody else's copy it a lot of these write-ups had a lot of information in them you know players uh coming back players gone recruiting ratings stat you know all sorts of stuff um but it was really really interesting to me as you mentioned there are only 13 12 or 13 teams represented in including ours a total of seven of these way too early top 25s from from uh, you know, some, some respected, uh, writers and, and sites. And, uh, there, we weren't the only one who had Alabama number one. And I will say that my, my thoughts have evolved a bit since we discussed this last week. Uh, Georgia probably would be my number one if, if, uh, we were to do this over again, if we were to reorder them again today. Um, Alabama is just, they're losing a little bit more, I think, than I realized. Uh, part of that is is just my mistake going through. I, for one, uh, because Terry and Arnold listed as a sophomore, it, it you know, didn't, didn't occur to me in the moment um, as I was building these that he was draft eligible. He's moving on. So uh, he's a, a really, really solid player. And not that, you know, one, one player is going to make or break Alabama, but uh, I just thought they might have a little bit more coming back on offense than they did. They end up losing their starting center who transferred to Ohio state. Um, you know, he unfortunately seemed like maybe had the yips during the, the semifinals, but probably, you know, could move to guard still very, you know, talented guy. Um, but that's a, a bit of a loss. We do now have confirmation that Bama's got to replace uh, both of their senior running backs, not that they're irreplaceable. We talked about Justice Haynes and um, Jam Miller being well-equipped, I think, to take over. Uh, but they also lost Jermaine Burton, which was not unexpected. Um, a few others as well, maybe a surprising transfer portal entry in the secondary or two. Um, so right now it just seems a little more like Georgia's likely to be number one. And Schlebach, McMurphy, Simonton, Chadwick, and, and Bud Elliott all agree. Uh, we do have Georgia number two, so not, not a major surprise there. Um, Alabama's the team that everybody seems to have a little bit of a different opinion on. Um, Brandon Marcello has them number one. We had them number one. But, you know, uh, PFF, they're number two. Uh, on three, they're number three. Uh, 247 Sports, they're number four. But Elliott, they're number five. So they're they're a team that's just, yeah, we think they're going to be really good, think they're going to be in the mix, probably a playoff team. Um, but uh, the the opinion, you know, uh, it, it hasn't quite solidified on what exactly we're, we're going to be doing with Alabama. 
Are they, uh, you know, do they have that elite, elite potential or are they the team that looked really beatable at times during the course of the year and looked very vulnerable in that semifinal game against Michigan? Um, there's a lot more consensus that Texas is a top three team. Everybody's got Texas as a, a, a top three mm. team. Oregon is a, which is interesting because Texas, I think, you know, maybe there was some hope that they were going to be able to, to bring back a couple of the draft eligible guys, but they lose both Worthy and Adonai Mitchell. They lose Jonathan Brooks with an ACL, who a lot of folks thought maybe because of that might be able to get him back. Uh, a couple of starters on defense leaving despite having some eligibility. So I agree. Texas, very, very good. But I don't know. They're 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 going to have to replace some real key pieces as well. They're of course crushing it on the transfer portal. Uh, so perhaps they're they're able to replace those guys. And if Quinn Ewers is coming back, expect that you know he's he's going to be solid. Um, I know opinions are divided, but but that's a pretty good starting spot. Um, and then you know Oregon top five team, Ohio State almost consensus uh, the number five team. Uh, they're number six in PFF, number four in Bud Elliott. Everybody else has them exactly number five. I was a little, I thought we were kind of going out on a limb a little bit with Ole Miss at six, but uh, PFF had them five. Uh, Schlebach had them six. Everybody else, I believe, had them in the top 10 somewhere. Um, a little bit of a surprise, maybe not on three. Looks like on three did not have them top 10, but. Uh, you know, everybody else, they, they are eighth or better, I think, ninth or better. Um, Missouri, I, I wasn't sure we were going to see real buy-in. And I tweeted something out last week that, you know, maybe we are kind of under uh, under appreciating the amount of defensive production that's that's leaving Mizzou. They, we could have talked about them in the, the portal rankings. Um, they've done some uh, some real quality over quantity. Some of the you know Texas A&M, Ole Miss, they're they're doing both, and there are some teams who are really doing mostly quantity. Colorado, you could argue, is in that mix. Um, Louisville, to a certain extent, but uh, Mizzou, the guys they're bringing in are going to be probably starters or or you know contributors, uh, but still they are losing quite a bit. You know, probably if we were in the, the, like I said in the tweet, in the before times, before the transfer portal was was as uh, open as it is, um, didn't have to worry about waivers or, you know, immediate eligibility or anything. Uh, the number that Missouri has right now in our, our very early returning production numbers would be like 115th in defensive returning production, something in that range. Uh, that's big. But so the the – Two teams that are kind of on the edge and are in in some top tens. Uh, we had we had Penn State eleventh. They're in a lot of people's top ten. Uh, we have Arizona fourteenth. They are in uh, at least three of these um, that that we're talking about uh, as a as a top ten team as high as number eight in uh, Brett McMurphy's of, of action. So. Um, I don't know. There's, there's some new blood there. There's some exciting up and coming teams, Mizzou, Arizona, uh, in that, in that range. I was a little surprised. We're the only Washington. I think we were talking about, we were kind of 
trying to figure out if, if, you know, that Washington, Michigan, Missouri, Penn State order we had, could Penn State be up at number eight? Some people certainly think so. Um, but that's it. I mean, those 13 teams are the only teams represented, at least among this group. So no Clemson, who I originally thought might be a top 10 team. Uh, you guys talked me out of it. LSU in that mix. Uh, you know, USC still going to be very talented. Texas A&M, I think the ceiling is there. Um, Florida State, uh, depending on how the portal goes, they've got to replace a lot, but that was a really good team last year. Um, but it, it, you know, there's, there's a lot more diversity in the uh, 11 through 25 amongst this group. Um, but it's interesting to me that, that the top 10, there are really only, at least among this selection, uh, 12 or 13 teams that are considered top 10 worthy seems to be a pretty clear tier break there, um, which which kind of caught my eye a little bit. Xavier, when you look at uh, these rankings and just the rankings overall to start, is yeah. there someone that is being way overrated or way underrated? Who, who are those teams so far? <sighs> Obviously, we knocked Clemson down single-handedly. Yes. Yes. 95% <laughs> you, 5% me, 0% Nick. Nick wanted them as the number one team. But uh, seems you are right. Other really smart people agree with you. So. I will. I will happily take that slander on Twitter next year if it comes around to bite me. I do not care. Clemson fans, come at you. Um, I will say I think Ole Miss is a little high in my opinion. I, I like what they've done, but they've got when 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 the when the, the three teams in front of you all playing your conference. You know, or three of the four teams, if, if you're looking at, you know, if you're going by, uh, you know, PFFs, right? Georgia, Bama, and Texas are all in the SEC next year. And they're all in front of you. They, you know, you're going to have to play these teams. And if we feel like, you know, three of the – there's already three teams in said conference that are better than you. It's going to be really hard for me to wrap my head around you being, you know, a bona fide top five team. Um, I also feel like, you know, for what they've been – for what they've done in the portal thus far, I start to see it. Right. You know, I talked about this last year. I, I, I love that teams go in the portal and want to fix their entirety of their teams. But I got to see you do it. In, I got to see what it looks like in real time. And as at the current moment, that defense from last year is still extremely underwhelming. Um, so Ole Miss being five on that list and being, you know, you know, being seven on, on, um, on ESPN, you know, OK, Um I love the love for Arizona. I really do. I, 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 you know, I can't get enough of it. But to have them higher than Washington for me feels a little bit of a reach. Feels like te- feels like people are trying to be a little shock value with that one um, a little bit. And I just think we may be, you know, getting a little too ahead of, ahead of ourselves. Um, I, I love what Arizona was able to put together this year. Uh, but obviously, they're losing Jacob Cowling, their best receiver. They're still in a situation where I, I, I feel like. Maybe they maybe they should be in your 12, 13, 14 range. I can't I, I'm I'm honestly I don't know if I can even have them as high as you know when we when we talk about you know even a Utah that feels like it's gonna be a, a, a toss-up for me. Um realistically, we talked about this last week. Um, you know, I, I, I like Utah coming into this year, right? I think Utah is a very underrated team coming into this season with Cam Rising and Brent Keithy coming back. And I know that they're being bludgeoned on the defensive side, but Kyle Whittingham puts together defenses. You know, like many of us put together, you know, put on our clothes every day. It's like clockwork. Uh, so, you know, I, I would like to I, I feel like Arizona is the, the hot pick right now. Um, and that's the one that they get retweets about, you know, 
seven weeks into the season when Arizona's five and two, and everybody's like, remember when you had Arizona in your top ten? Um, so, yeah, you know, I just I just don't feel that all, that, all that comfortable with that one. Um, other than that, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we're already on the Washington train. Cool. You guys will get on at some point when Will Rogers is over there uh, making a case for him to be, you know, uh, you know, Pac-12 player. Uh, sorry, not Pac-12, but Big Ten player of the year. You know, it takes some getting used to. Right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. You know, but, you know, it's OK. Just 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 wait on it, guys, because when it happens and Will Rogers finds his steam again uh, on a new roster with, you know, sit with, with good talent on the outside and Kalen DeBoer as his coach. Don't be surprised when we look when we look up and, and Washington's possibly undefeated halfway through the year. So, um, yeah. Other than that, I'm okay with most people's lists. I think not having Georgia at number one, understanding what Michigan can loss, what could loss, could lose, excuse me, and with Alabama, you know, has lost already in their secondary, understanding that you know they're going to be heavily relying on transfers to come in and you know on hopefully that Jalen Milrow somehow takes this you know, this, you know, otherworldly leap next year. Um, okay, understood. But, hey, they are losing a ton of talent. You know, Dallas Turner, J.C. Latham, Kool-Aid McKinstry, and Terry on Arnold could all be picked in the top 20. Like, that's not even a conversation. Uh, uh, that that they all could be top 20, top 25 draft picks next uh, this upcoming year. So that's a lot of talent to be losing. And I understand that, you know, they just rebuild. But it always, they don't always just rebuild. Um, you know, sometimes we, we there are genuine gaps on, on Bama's team that many teams necessarily can't necessarily maybe get to. But when we talk about some of the best teams in the country, they they fall short of. So that's about it. I, I don't think I have any much any other like massive critiques with these. Um, I, maybe maybe you know maybe they they came out with these before we understood the Will Howard news. Uh, but I think Ohio State might bring back one of the best teams in the country now. Um, and they might squeak into my top three, you know, at some point here um, because of how much they bring back offensively now, well, offensively, and obviously with the uh, addition of Will Howard and Quinchon Jenkins, that's huge. Most of their defensive front has decided to go back to school. Um, I believe J- Jack Sawyer and JT Twimolau have, at the very least, hinted at it. No, uh, Sawyer's official. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There are a few still. I mean, there's, yeah, there's definitely we don't know for sure. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. There's definitely some in the in the way in waiting, but all but from what I've been seeing, or at least what the rumor department is is feeding in this direction, there's a large percentage of that defense that feels like they could come back this year uh, or for next year. And if that's the case, then you're talking about not only one of the more talented teams in the country, but probably the most, you know, veteran leadership. The, the you know the most continuity in the country on both sides of the ball returning outside of obviously your quarterback situation. But honestly, one would argue that the quarterback situation is what held them back this year. So, you know, I would, I would love to see where people would have Ohio state if 70% of that defense came back um, and, and was looking to play uh, next year for them uh, with a defense at all, I think is, is doing so at the chance of, you know, it was, it was like, like, we know they have not for a small majority of them, they have not beat Michigan yet. Um, and I think that's the reason why they're coming back. Yeah, national title is cool, but I don't think a lot of them could go to, to go to the pros with the thought of not beating Michigan on their on their on their brains. And I can't necessarily blame them. Um, that would that would irk me too. So 
I understand them coming back, but in doing so, you are making yourself one hell of a roster, um, all of which can also bolster all their draft stocks in the process. So I think Ohio State will probably be in my top three by the end of by, by the spring of this year once we learn who's all coming back for them. One one of the early things you said that that some some folks out there might argue with uh, Jacob Cowing being the Arizona's best wide receiver. I know there are a lot of Tet McMillan fans and and Tet. some real excitement uh, to see most what he can be in a in a true number one, uh, which I in my opinion he, he pretty much emerged that way uh, toward the end of the year as well. Um, but uh, a couple of of teams that. It looked like uh, are are maybe the most divisive in some ways, and you know Xavier. I, we at the very end of last week, um, we just said, okay, make one more move, and then we'll be done with it. Who who needs to be in this top twenty five? And you said Utah, and there are some folks who have Utah kind of knocking on the door of the top 10. I mean, I think they're as high as number 12 in, in one I saw. Um, but Utah is kind of a little bit all over the place. I, I'm i still not fully bought in. I know, yeah, yeah, if Keith B is back and fully healthy, yeah, if Cam Rising is back and fully healthy, um, you know, not having to play – uh, I mean, maybe maybe moving to the Big 12 is a, is a benefit. Another thing that, that makes this exercise – a little tricky is, you know, we do it power ratings. Uh, pretty sure, but Elliot's are power ratings. But I think, and, and some aren't clear, but I think maybe the rest um, are, you know, expected order finish, which I mean, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but just not knowing necessarily how folks are, are constructing their early top 25s it's it's a little tricky to to know sort of what the expectation is as far as who can take advantage of a you know weaker strength of schedule that that sort of thing but um utah i think falls in that mix maybe the big 12 as a whole because oklahoma state's going to be a hot team um and kansas state is a team that that you know i've seen as high as i think 12 um certainly a lot of excitement for avery johnson that coaching staff really really good um but you know they did lose their play caller Colin Klein did lose Will Howard even though you know Johnson is is there and and absolutely looked capable of stepping in his shoes and and playing just as well uh in the bowl game and and you know I know some folks are really really excited about his future um but a lot of unknowns so you know people don't necessarily or their divided opinions on what to do with K-State they're out of our top 25 um they, I guess, would be 27th maybe in our receiving votes, our little list of who missed. Uh, but uh, they and and uh, Utah, to me, are going to be tough to figure out, especially the way we calculate things. It seems like, you know, every other year um, we're, you know, either too high or too low on K-State. Um, often it seems like, I don't know. We we we've we've pegged K State pretty well sometimes. I think of their down years, but there are a couple of years where they've popped up. This past year, uh, maybe one of them, um, or two years ago, uh, for sure. When when they were just better than our numbers would suggest. You know, Utah. This year we were a little lower on Utah than everybody else, and it turned out to be a decent year for us. But there certainly have been some years where uh, we've been too high. Uh, or excuse me, too low on Utah, and, and they make us look a little silly. Maybe 2024 will be that type of year for Utah and or K-State, not sure. Um, but, 
those were the other two that kind of jumped out to me of, of you know, made note of, of some folks are really high on them. Some folks are much lower on them and maybe Oklahoma as well. Oklahoma snuck into uh, a couple. I, I forgot to mention them. They're like the 13th team. They snuck into a couple of top tens, uh, including number eight for Brandon Marcello. Um Maybe that's the only one, but uh, we had Oklahoma 20th. So I think they're they're going to be a team that, you know, how how do they stack up in the SEC? They're going to have a, a you know, retro freshman quarterback, limited experience, a um, lot to replace on the offensive line. You know, a lot of moving parts here and there. Transfer portal will be, be big to replace some of the, the players that are moving out. Um, but sort of those those – Big 12 teams coming and going uh, maybe are the ones that, that at least this group right now, we don't have a great handle on just yet. Like, should we be really, you know, bullish on Oklahoma's future in the SEC? Should we expect Utah and K-State to compete for a Big 12 title? Or are they, you know, maybe not quite there yet, all of them? So um, I'll be paying attention to those. Oklahoma is an interesting one. And the reason why I say that is because their schedule, if they if even if they go 10 and 2, they have the kind of schedule that a 10 and 2 team makes it into the 12 team playoff. Like that's how rich their schedule is next year. Um, you know, they go they start off with Tennessee at home. Um, and then October through like the end of the year is an absolute horrible slate. Uh, obviously, they get Texas. They've kept that rivalry going. Then they have to go to Ole Miss, to Missouri, to LSU, and then they have Bama uh, to finish out the year. So for them, they're they're definitely a team that I think even a ten and two record for them would be extremely impressive next year uh, for its first year in the conference. Um, but one, I, I don't say nine and three. Would yeah, I was going to say yeah. playoff worthy. Yeah. I think I think we're going to find most. 10 win teams, 10 win regular season teams are going to be playoff teams. I could, I could that, be wrong about that, but yeah, but. yeah, we'll definitely have to see who they are and obviously where they come from as far as conference is concerned. Uh, but even when you look at a team like Ohio State next year, right, who gets Iowa, Oregon, Penn State, and Michigan, that's going to be even, you know, that that's a that's a schedule that lends itself, you know, the opportunity that if you really think about it, you put all of it together. Are they a team that gets in with with, with two losses? So definitely going to be a conversation for next year. But these schedules, when I look at some of, like, the new teams that have entered the conferences, I'm just like, man, y'all haven't played these many ranked teams in a minute. So y'all better get ready because it's going to be a fun year, right? Not going to be many Saturdays. You can can go with the misses to home goods. Uh, But definitely a a lot of Saturdays where you're sitting there like this while you watch games. Just like, ugh. I love it. Uh, I I love that. Yeah, I love uh, competition. That, that tenseness and, and yes. all that. And people think it's going to take away from the meaning of the regular season. I don't think so. I think uh, you know, it, more teams, more spots available. And by the way, I think they should make an NIT. Also, oh, why not man. do that? I mean, that's going to make you a ton of money. You can pay the kids more. But well, I'm getting ahead of myself there. But uh, yeah, I mean. So much more on the line uh, every single week, in my opinion. So uh, may- maybe those top games don't have the same type of drama a- as they did before because you know those teams are going to get in the playoffs, but those are still big games. I mean, even if they're both ranked, you, you know, you want to watch Alabama versus Auburn. Even if nobody's ranked, you want to watch that game. 
So yeah, uh, I, I think it's just going to add to, but uh, anything else on uh, the top 25 or transfers or anything, anything happened while we're waiting here, Nick, any uh, transfer <laughs> news come in? Uh, well, so there was a Oklahoma running back who transferred to NC state, Dylan, uh, Dalen Smothers, uh, Hollywood Smothers, uh, as he's uh, also known. Uh, NC State's an interesting team. I mean, we're going to have – I know they're in a few of these top 25s as well. I think we – I don't know. It's hard to It's hard to say because Grace McCall is rated pretty high right now. I I have been – this is off-season talk, I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at probably – G5 quarterbacks are moving up to power conference uh, opportunities who have just racked up a ton of production like Grayson McCall has. Uh, but a lot of that production was the last, you know, two, two or three years ago. Um, I think they're going to get a slight ratings downgrade. Like I'm going to go back through and, and uh, maybe be a little tougher with production points. Um, anyway, that's that's getting on a different tangent. If Grace McCall is as highly rated, you know, in our in our 2024 team profile individual player ratings as, as he is right now, NC State's setting up to potentially be, you know, ranked pretty very high, um, and they've got a, a kind of a, a wide range of guys. You know, some uh, former really really highly rated recruits who are coming in that haven't played very much, but could kind of, you know, hit, hit uh, the ground running there at NC state and become big time performers. They, they have some uh, veteran guys who played a lot of football elsewhere like McCall, but they also lost some, some really, really key uh, players as well, both to the NFL and the transfer portal, but I don't know, it'll all sort itself out and, and we'll have plenty of time to, to talk a lot about it. But um, that was the only news I think, think that's breaking as we uh finish up here uh was was uh, hollywood smothers has landed at nc state all right well we will be back next week to talk about some more moves remember you can follow us all on twitter at bogman sports for myself at cfp winning edge for nick at xavier underscore trish t-r-i-c-h-e for xavier and at campus the number two canton for campus to canton and we will see you guys then take it easy everybody